Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Buenos tardes, mi amigo. Hola, my good friends. Cinco de And I hope we'd see each other again. Before we get to this extra special episode, I must remind you that the wait is finally over. NFL football is back. Woo! You might not be at the game this year. I can confidently say that you are not at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action with Bet Online. It's shaping up already to be a very exciting NFL season with no fans in the stands. And you got game spreads and you got totals and you got teams and players and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino. You know why? It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. A uh, very special episode this evening or afternoon or morning, whenever you're listening to it, because I welcome back to the podcast everyone's favorite guest, everyone's favorite human, my wife, actress, Registered esthetician, drummer for Journey, Bianca Kylik. Hey, Mike, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, Bianca. Doing great. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm getting some lemon water. Would you like some lemon water? No. I drink too much water. I, I just need you guys get a live representation of my life just sitting waiting to do stuff I'm watching the Dodger game out of the corner of my eye it's the playoffs how are you? um tired yeah like all the time or just right the second? well I just feel it especially the second I just feel like we've been with our child for a really long time <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're a little luckier, I think, than most parents, certainly in California, in that our child gets to go to school for a couple hours a day. Yeah, well, so in the last two weeks, it, that has been a nice shift. But, I mean, after, what, seven months of being with her basically nonstop... Two hours does not seem like enough time to fit in. Well, that's like a 20-minute drive, so, <laughs> you know, it kind of cuts out. Um, All of it. But, I mean, I know I was talking with someone the other day, and um, I was saying that I feel bad, like, even complaining about anything because there are so many people in such worse situations right now, and... Um, he made a really good point because he said, you know, that's what's really hard about a situation like this that affects everybody is that if your perception of your situation is that it's not as bad as others, then you feel bad about even feeling bad about it, but that you've got to honor the fact that it's 
all really fucked. And well, and also, I I don't subscribe to this notion that, you know, there's kids born with AIDS in Africa that then don't have their family doesn't have any money or running water. Um, so therefore, I can't feel bad about losing my job or or getting a divorce. You know what no. I'm saying? I don't subscribe because then you'll just consistently be doing the like pain Olympics. You know, well, and, and, and putting I don't I don't think like emotional pain should be put on. And it should be measured. Should be ranked. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, no, I have, and I've always said that it's all relative. Because you know what you know, and we all are, you know, really privy to our own experience, and that, you know, something that is a really, um, you know. Uh, awful for someone else may, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> just, you know, when you like just a full on lose a train of thought in the middle of it, yeah. <laughs> it's going it's to be a great podcast. Yeah. So far you're, you came in, you came in guns blazing, <laughs> mouthful of food, 20 <laughs> seconds late, losing your train of thought. First of all, I, we did not have a set time. You did not even tell me you were sitting down to do your beautiful opening musical number and you didn't say I need to be here right at the end of it. I thought maybe you were going to stop it and then I was going to sit down. You didn't brief me on the... I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it's pretty stream of consciousness though, you know. Um, anyway, I I was all... Well, I was just getting back to our point about, you know, kind of making a hierarchy of emotional pain. Yes. It's, it's really... Emotional pain is so weird because physical pain, there's very clearly a hierarchy, you know, like you can stub your toe or you can break your leg. Yeah, you know? but, like, but also even in that, there's people that are have zero pain tolerance. So something really trivial and seemingly minuscule to yeah, somebody but, else but might be. You're, you're, uh, totally. But at the same time, it, it, whenever, even if that person, regardless of your pain tolerance, uh, uh, um, getting in a bath that's a little too hot is way different than <laughs> getting, you know, cutting your neck or something. So, um, but my point is, is that emotional pain isn't that way. Like yeah. when you're 15 and a girl breaks up with you, or it's as bad now as like, you know, losing a family member. Yeah. Like you, you, like the, it all kind of seem it all hurts the same. Yeah. It's really strange how that works out. Anyway. Um, so you actually came up with the really good idea to come back on the podcast to talk about something that far too many people suffer from. And I think more people now during the lockdown are suffer from it, suffering from it in, in like modern times to a great degree. And it doesn't really seem to get talked about too much. Depression, on the other hand, something that I've always suffered from it's talked about pretty extensively yeah. and um, the, the taboo around um, even identifying your despondency has really gone away. You've started to see like these macho men, you know, NFL players and military guys talk about um, uh, de uh, depression, but anxiety doesn't really get talked about all yeah. that much. And it's from what I can gather pretty crippling. Oh, it's the worst. It's, I mean, I've, enjoyed both because <laughs> I like to dip my 
fingers in all the pools. You're inclusive. Yes, I am. I, you know, I really want to experience it all here in my. You're very woke when it comes to limited time on this planet. You're very woke when it comes to mental health disorders. Um, but yeah, I was, I was thinking about it actually, cause I was so proud of you and, you know, all, as always, you're very open about your experience, but, but something too, that I was remembering is that at the worst, um, points in, in my journey with anxiety, um, it always makes me think like, it's, you know, some people would be like, I'm, I'm really anxious. I'd be like, well, what are you so stressed out about? I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> There's nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it can, but like, you know, real anxiety, uh, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, it feels like you're dying. And, you know, what I was thinking about it was that, um, and I've, I've gone in and out of several phases of it over the course of my life and um oh my god in the midst of some of the worst times I would just die to find someone talking about it because I it's so debilitating and terrifying and um and and you just want to hear someone else confirm that they've experienced what you're experiencing and also for me it's like I just wanted to hear someone say that it ended for them like that they got through it because But does that happen typically? I mean is there is there people that talk about like I don't suffer from anxiety anymore? Well, I I don't really. I mean, I have I have very very um I mean, I wouldn't even call it anxiety anymore i've i've had little moments of it but it's nothing like i i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't say i i have anxiety anymore i would say every once in a blue moon i have a little a little issue with with depression and um and alcoholism and drug addiction which is stuff that i know very well um a lot of times people will say and, and this is a very very valid question how do you know you're an alcoholic as opposed to just someone who's like in a frat and drinks a lot or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or I, I, I drink a couple of nights a week and you know, one of those nights I get fucked up. I mean, I am al- alcoholic and uh depression's the same way. Like I felt really blue the whole year, yeah. you know? And so am I, do I have depression? And I always say like, I can't really describe it. You just kind of know. You know, is that the same thing with well, anxiety? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I think that there, like we were saying, there are different levels mm-hmm. of. I mean, I've certainly had. Uh, I, I mean, it, it happened to me. I always thought of myself as somebody who was strictly on team anxiety, and then I realized that oh, I've actually been pretty depressed. So, um, you know, I think that you can have like. So for me, depression even though I've had moments in my life where it was clearly obvious that I was suffering from depression, I've also had moments in the, I think before I knew that I was depressed where I had to look back and be like, Oh, that's depression. Um, I think there are many people who are suffering from low grade anxiety who don't even know that that's what that is. They just know it as, um, I feel like I have to be on my phone all the time or I, I, I really always feel like I want to do something to occupy myself. Either I always have to have the TV on or I always have to, um, be talking to someone or have music on. And it's like this low grade buzz of discomfort. And that is anxiety. Um, there's that type of anxiety, which I've had, but there's also like full blown panic anxiety disorder, which is 
just, I mean, it's all bad. It's all not fun to go through. Um, but it's, it is, it's a horrifying thing to live your life. And especially because it, it, um, masks itself as that you think you're dying. Like I, now that's the panic attack. Yes. A panic attack, a full blown panic attack is, is because it's a, uh, the basic, um, physiology of it is that you have for whatever reason um and it and it could be that you have trauma and something triggers the trauma it could be that it's there is a chemical imbalance but something triggers the fight or flight when there is no fight or flight and you have an overproduction of of adrenaline and so what happens is like as you know in fight or flight because there's either i'm going to have to fight something or I'm going to have to run really fast, your body, because it's so brilliant and has so many subconscious instinctive, ab- instinctive things animals, to do, where it, like- it basically shuts down anything that you wouldn't need in that moment. So like real critical thinking doesn't need to happen. You, you either need to know how to throw your arms and punches or, <laughs> or get the hell out of there. So like blood actually is taken from the areas that are, so that's why like people who suffer from really debilitating anxiety will get the feeling like, um, they can't think straight. Uh, they can't, um, they get real foggy brained. Um, you know, I mean, I guess I could just start out by saying like how it started for me, um, is that I was in college and, um, you know, I had, had lived up until really the end of high school as a very sheltered, um, you know, I had a wonderful family and most weekends stayed home and, you know, watched movies with my mom or my dad. And, um, and then in, in high school, you know, kind of the pressure to, uh, go out and drink and do all those things happened my junior and senior year. And then I got to college and it was like, it was just like a, a, you know, a wild horse breaking out into the open. Like I just, there was no curfew. There was lots of booze. There were drugs that I had never tried before. And, um, I just didn't, I didn't really recognize myself. Um, and I, think it kind of all started because I did ecstasy with, um, friends of mine and I had a really bad experience. And I thought I was dying. And I think that was kind of the catalyst where I witnessed my, that my brain had the ability to move without me. <laughs> like, like I, I had this, you know, experience of like, Oh, my mind actually can it's go like away. Yes. And, and I, there's nothing I can do to yeah. stop it. And, um, and then I remember that same year I went to Mexico with a bunch of friends. I was probably 19, I think. And, um, we were sitting at a dinner table eating, having a really in the middle of our trip. And suddenly out of the blue, I thought, what if I had cancer? (laughs) It was (laughs) at 19, (laughs) but it, but it was so random. Like it just came out of nowhere. It's sitting at the table and all of a sudden it became this obsessive thought of what if I have cancer? And the weird thing about it was there was such a, um, I mean, it's the adrenaline, but it's like, I just felt this rise of fear come up from my stomach into my throat. And I suddenly felt like I couldn't breathe. And,
and I uh, stood up and I was like, I, ha- I have to get somewhere. And I went to the bathroom and I was hyperventilating and I had my friends walk me home and I spent the rest of that night in bed. And then um, I think I felt kind of better the next day. But um, when we went to leave to fly home, I was on the plane hyperventilating, couldn't, uh, was like, do I kept doing this cough thing to try and clear my throat because I felt like I couldn't breathe. I barely made it home on the flight. And that kind that's, of... Uh, not to interrupt you, but that's so strange because, like, as someone who doesn't understand the experience, um, I, I've i had friends and family who, like, were scared of flying, for instance. Yeah. Know? And although I, it's not necessarily reasonable, it does at least make sense because you're flying through the air at 600 can. miles an hour <laughs> in this fuselage. And I remember I had a friend really close friend of mine who was um in like seventh through eighth early ninth grade got really paranoid that there was going to be an earthquake and although again not necessarily reasonable when you look at like the statistics he did live in los angeles and there could be an earthquake at right. any moment. to at 19 years old especially on vacation go i well i have cancer what if i have cancer that yeah was but- it like your body was feeding you anything like you could- no I mean I, I think what it was is that I was I, I think it's you know our minds are so incredible and the things that we'll think or come up with um that uh I think more it was if um all, all anxiety I believe is a um a feeling of a loss of control and um and there's a there's an issue with control and the need to control things and when there isn't the ability to control those things Um, and I think I was, you know, in a foreign country without my family, um, without anyone really looking out for me, I'm pretty sure for like the first time in my life. I mean, I had gone to Japan when I was 17 to model, but we had chaperones there. And, um, you know, this was really like, we were out loose on our own and, and and also substantially more dangerous country. Well, and, and also (laughs) I had been, I had been, um, drinking quite a bit yeah and uh <laughs> and one of the guys had shit in my suitcase <laughs> you actually told me that story the night we met on i love, did on loveline yeah oh you should go back to those old records um <laughs> that was the night we met and you yes. came into loveline and well because I, I had to compete with your shit story I, well no and drew again forced me to tell it like he forced me. I don't really remember you okay. forcing you. I, I I do because it happened a lot. He's like, no, no, no. T- tell her this one. Tell her this one. <laughs> um, he was just feeling jealous. That's all. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I had a, uh, I, I had a, a, an old friend of mine that we kind of on and off dated. And um, he, he happened to be in Cabo when I was down there. And he was black. And, um, uh, one of the guys in my group from my college that had traveled with us, uh, unbeknownst to me, had a crush on me and also was racist. Oh, it's a good combo. So, uh, we hadn't seen, run into my friends that, uh, one of the, one of those nights and, um, you know, one thing led to another and we, uh, kind of <laughs> reignited in a flame and went off to, and my, this guy that wasn't part of my group went back to our hotel room, which everyone was sharing this one big, God, college 
like spring break travel is the worst. It sucks. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, and just decided that he, that his revenge would be to sh- take a shit in my suitcase. So um, I'll never forget because the next day we left and it was my birthday and we were traveling home and I went to go open and get my clothes out. And I remember I had like a bucket hat and uh, and I picked it up and I was so confused, like what was in my bag. Yeah, because it smelled like shit. <laughs> And I'm so I'm so torn by this story because I so don't want to be friends with a guy who's motivated to do that because he's racist. Like, I really don't want anything to do with that guy. But I so want to be friends with the guy who would shit in someone's Come, suitcase. No, you I, don't. I do, yeah. Michael. Yeah. If Magnolia came home... That's 17, different. No, it's not. Th- it's not different because I'm someone's daughter. That's yeah, you it, uh, everything's different when it's Listen, your, it, everything's I, different when it's your children. Yeah, but but it, everyone, someone is anyone is someone's daughter or son. True. So I that's, just think I, I honestly think so, I think sometimes you say things like that because you think it's funny. But I really knowing you know that you would not be friends with somebody it, at this stage in your life who shit in some in some young girl's bag. Yeah, probably not. Well, no, 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 no. If at 19 they did it, I still, I could totally be friends with that guy. If at 41 he did it, I'd be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? It makes me feel a little disappointed in you when you say things like that. Because it's it's really horrible, grotesque behavior. I don't think, you know what, though, now that I think about, honestly, I'm being honest, even going back to 19-year-old me, it's somehow not as funny that it was a girl's luggage. Somehow? Yeah, like if it was his buddy, it really is very appealing. I don't. To me. I think we should because I don't understand the poop humor, which is right. sh- shocking because no, we're, we're married and that's yeah. a part I just don't get. I get that there are guys out there that think that stuff like that's funny. Um, I I just don't get it. It's, yes. I mean, it's I, I don't know. I'm not going to say what I think. Anyway, the best part was that then. Uh, the next weekend, like the next month was mom's weekend at my college and my mom came to visit and they knew of course, cause I had to call them cause I had to throw my entire luggage of clothing away. Um, cause you know, so you just had to buy a new suitcase in Mexico, a new luggage in Mexico. I think I kept as much as I could, but anything that possibly had been touched was that's unbelievable. Disgusting. Um, and it was like drunk guy shit too. Yeah, so, it was just, no, nah, I don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, Anyway, she uh, she she found out who he was, and uh, and he was standing. I said, "That's him over there." At this, we were at this frat party, and um, he was standing. And my mom goes over, and she goes, "Are you Chuck?" <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, Chuck from Mexico." And it was like his eyes suddenly registered who she might be, and he ran away from her. <laughs> <laughs> And he ran behind this, like they had a kid, one of those swinging kitchen doors that went behind a bar. Yeah. And he ran behind there, and my mom lurched over the counter of the bar, grabbed him by the collar of his shirt, and said, I am an Italian woman. <laughs> and if you'd ever touch my daughter again, I swear the mafioso will be after you. <laughs> what did he say? Yes, ma'am. Yes. I think he's mortified. I don't know. So that guy's a bitch because <laughs> I like I, I you know I, I I know it disappoints you so I hate to admit it but I am that I do find that funny and I probably would engage in that type of behavior 
again, probably I probably wouldn't shit in a girl's. I would definitely shit in a guy's luggage. But if if and like, when but to, if to, and but, when, but today you would do that? No, or like, no, no. Like no. when you were nineteen. When I was nineteen. Okay. I made that very clear. We can uh, go I'm, back and listen to the tape. I made that very clear. Okay. I said if someone I misunderstood. Did, I said if at forty one some guy does that, I don't even want to be in the okay, same okay. state as him. I probably wasn't listening. I was thinking about what I was going to say next. Okay. So. <laughs> So uh, that's the difference between you and me. I'm a professional. So I, as I'm talking, you're glazed over stare as you're watching the Dodger game. Hey, listen, Cody Bellinger just made an amazing <laughs> Hall of Fame catch. Anyway, so I have done things to girls when I was that age and younger. Yeah, that was not okay. When, if, and when their mom or their dad confronted me, you you got to eat it. You don't run away like a bitch. You got to go, yep, that was me. Yeah, I, to- I, mean, I was totally it, wrong. None of it was his finest hour. I, th- I He's probably hopefully grown up to be a respectable man and does not listen to this podcast. But um, It's uh, Chuck Schumer, actually. A lot of people don't know that. It's a very, very <laughs> salacious story. Um, um, anyway. All right. So do you feel anxiety attacks coming on or do they hit you like a heart attack? Well, let's just move forward from from kind of that point to, okay. to explain like the because I do think it's important to understand the kind of ev- ev- evolving nature of how it came to be. So after the initial one, I, I went home that summer. I um, was fine. I mean, I think I, I felt maybe a little out of it, but I didn't have any other like major issues. Um, and then I went back to school in the fall. This was my second year of college. And... Um, my girlfriends and I had, uh, rented a little house in the middle of Greek row and a lot of the frats had gone dry that, um, year. So, uh, why? I don't know. I think maybe hazing stuff or I'm not quite sure, but Hmm. we, we ended up hosting a lot of parties for them at our little house. And so there was a lot of drinking and, um, and I think just mostly like I was so out of touch with myself because I was so disconnected from what I really wanted and, um, you know, I, I grew up with a really strict, um, you know, Czechoslovakian father who had very strong ideas about how things should be and, um, medical doctor too. Yeah. Very and, kinda and perfectionist. Binary guy, you know. And he was also had really bad health issues and almost died several times. So there was a lot of, um, heavy stuff going on when I was a kid and, um, and I think that just the the, the overwhelming um, uh, heaviness of being a kid in a household where a you know one of your parents is, is really sick, and that that all, all kind of heavy weight of there always being the chance. Yeah, the specter of him passing. The pressure yeah. of the, of that possibility always kind of looming anytime he got sick. My, my mom said once. Every time he, you know, even got a cold, it was like an earthquake because you just were so scared that he was going to go because he had heart issues. Um, he had strep throat when he was a kid and um, and the bacteria grew into his heart. And so he ended up having, you know, three open heart surgeries over the course of his life and just was always um, very ill. And um, and also a very um, he had a, a big weight on him. My dad was clinically depressed. And, um, I think a lot of, because of the medications he took and also he defect, I mean, that's a whole story. Yeah, his childhood from you he, know, the little he, he told me was a nightmare, you know? Well, he grew up in, he was, grew up in a communist country and he and his brother escaped. They were on the water polo team and they, um, could not tell their family. 
The only person that knew was their aunt. Um, if their family knew that they were leaving, their lives would have been in danger. And so they, um, they went to Germany to play in a water polo tournament and they packed two identical suitcases. One had clothes and one had paperwork. And, you know, when the guards came on the bus to check everyone's things, they showed them the same suitcase twice. And, um, and then they fled and then they, uh, my dad never saw his father ever again. And, you know, I really do believe as well that that stuff is in our genes and we, um, the heaviness of our, of whatever our parents carried or whatever their parents carried, it, it comes down. You no, know, epigenetics is really kind of starting to show that yeah. kind of conclusively. There's a great um, study, I think you and I have talked about this, about the mice. Yeah. And, um, and that there were mice that they would let them sniff cherry blossoms and then they would shock them. And they found that four generations down, uh, the babies would recoil thinking they were going to get shocked when they would smell the cherry blossoms. So that, that connection between the shock and the cherry blossoms had made its way through genetically. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I went back to school and I started to experience really weird things. Like I started to feel like I would, I, I somewhere, and my mom was supposed to give it to me. I have a a piece of paper and I had written at that time, everything that I was experiencing on a daily basis. And on the other side was everything I was experiencing, you know, uh, occasionally throughout that time. And, um, I had a heavy metallic taste in my mouth all the time. I heard voices I would, you know, you heard voices. I heard voices. Well, wow. like I would, I remember one time I worked in the little, um, like the sweatshirt place on campus where we would make all the fraternity, put all the fraternity letters on and, you know, do sell sweatshirts at the football games. And, um, I was standing there at one of the football games and I heard someone behind me speaking cha- Japanese or, I mean, I, I didn't know enough about, you know, those languages to say it was definitely Japanese, but, but an, an Asian language. language. And I turned around and this guy is speaking English clear as day. And I heard him and I was, it was so uh, unsettling because I, and that kind of stuff happened all the time. Um, my eyes were all wonky. My depth perception was off. I would walk and take a step and it would feel like the whole floor would drop out from underneath me. I constantly had such a bolt of tension up the back of my neck that it felt like I was going to seizure. Um, Do you, now, you weren't medicated at this point. I wasn't medicated at this so point. So this is no. just all going on in your brain. In my brain, yes. Wow. And um, around that time, I started to feel so um, lost and scared. And it just was, I felt my very, like my eyes were very sensitive to light and I just, you know, I don't know. It's weird. Cause I had a really close relationship with my parents, but I think I was so ashamed of the way that I was living my life in college that I didn't really reach out to anyone. And one night, um, I remember I was laying on the couch at our house and we had a house cat and the cat was scratching my hand and there was something in, in, in all of the discombobulation and the complete and utter upside downness of everything um to feel such focused pain felt like freedom right and so I went into the bathroom and I took a 
razor, just a lady's razor, and I carved into my wrists. Is that, again, getting back to the control thing? Because you I, have full control over that. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I think it was more of I just felt such, it felt like a release in the same way that, like, I know it sounds crazy to say, in the same way that an orgasm feels like a release, mm-hmm. it felt that way. It was like, I think there was such a buildup of pressure of all of this great, like I felt, I felt like I was going crazy. My have raising, race, uh, um, racing thoughts, like really weird. Like I would, um, I remember one time all the time when I'd be driving my car, I would be like, what if I all of a sudden just whipped it to the left, you know, the, the steering wheel. Um, and then I remember another time eating a tangerine, like, what if I couldn't stop eating this tangerine? Like strange, strange. Yeah. Um, but it was like, you know, obsessive thoughts. And, um, so, uh, I think I ended up conf- coming clean and confessing to my roommates about, the, and sh- you know, showing them what I had done to my hands. And, um, they were like, we got to call your parents. And I said, please beg them, please don't. And, um, I, they, my one roommate said, well, um, uh, you know, as long as you go and speak to a counselor here, that's the only way we'll let you get away with not calling yeah. your parents. And, um, pretty mature. Yeah, I think so for a bunch of drunk 19 year olds. And um, so I went and spoke. And one of the things about me that I've always known is that even when shit's really bad, I have the ability to sound like everything's okay. Yeah. And I think this person, well, listen, I don't know. I mean, I think if a 19 year old kid comes to me and they have cuts on their hands that they've done to themselves, I'm probably going to follow up or at the very least with that person. And yeah, but that wasn't. That was a state school. And yeah. I bet that person's hands were pretty tied. Probably. With what they could and couldn't do, you know? And you were over 18. I was over 18. You're yeah. right. You're right. So anyway, long story longer. Basically, um, I went home and um, I didn't do anything about it. I went home to my house on, on campus and I uh, didn't do anything more. And then one night I split a fifth of vodka with my roommate. And we went to a fraternity party. And at some point during the night, uh, my other roommate heard all the guys talking about a girl who just went into the boys' bathroom with a bunch of knives. And she said she pushed open the door and I was standing there laughing maniacally. <laughs> holding like the Joker. These knives. And she looked at me and said, Bianca Maria Kylik, you go home right now. She did all three names. Yes, she did. Wow. Like, like she was my mother. And it was snowy because we were in Eastern Washington. And I remember so clearly walking home. I left my coat at the fraternity and walking home like a chastised child, freezing cold. And just knowing I, I walked in my house, there was a guy and a girl making out on the couch. I went straight into the bathroom and I cut my wrists all up again. And I went into my room and I called the boy, the guy I was dating at the time. And I said, can you please come over? And he said, yeah. And they found me passed out and there was blood everywhere, all over the bathroom, all over the bedroom. Yeah. Um, and I woke up the next morning with my hands bandaged and my parents on the phone. Oh, and, they and you're hungover as fuck. And hungover yeah. as fuck. And, and the anxiety at this point is like, I mean, I remember I couldn't even see straight. Like I, f- I just felt like there was a lightning rod of electricity going up the back of my neck. And um, they said, you know, we're putting you on a plane. And I was like, I cannot get on a plane. And my dad, I'll never forget, he was so sick at this time because this was before his third open heart, right before his third open heart surgery. He drove, there was a huge snowstorm and he drove five hours in a snowstorm Ugh. to come pick me up. 
And I just will never forget his eyes and he, the way that he was looking at me and, and I remember him, he bought me a beer. <laughs> we sat down and he said, what, what happened? And I think that now, like as a parent, you know, t- to have your kid that you think is one way, you feel is one way and to sit there with them seeing. And them. also just, I, I can't even begin to pretend to know what was going on in your dad's mind because he had a whole different life than I did and you were a whole different person than Magnolia is. But I will say as like the father to a daughter, it's just different. I hate to say that, you know, like I I don't want to get all gender sensitive and everything, but like it's just different. Like you, you kind of have a tolerance for stuff that boys will be put through. Yeah. As a father to a, a girl, you go like, I just don't ever even want to know that she has any pain. Totally. He was probably just so torn up. I think, I mean, I remember that look in his eyes and he was so loving and kind and we drove home the next day together and, and I dropped out of college and my parents, um, to their credit, put me straight into pretty, um, intensive therapy. And, you know, it's not like it was straight uphill battle from there. There's been, um, so many, I, you know, I've discovered I had thyroid issues, which was probably a big, big part, part of, of it, the yeah. problem. Um, and, and has, you know, at the times where it's been really bad, there's been, um, issues with that. But, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think that, um, I always like to say that people who, s- who suffer from depression and anxiety, um, that it's usually people who are so, sensitive. And I don't mean that in like a snowflakey, precious kind of way. I mean that in that I think that people who, who suffer from mental illness, especially in society today, um, tend to be people who are very, very in touch with a a way of being emotional that's so that's too sensitive for this world. Yeah, no, it's it's almost emotional. It's sensitive to a fault at times. Yeah. And I don't, but I don't think I mean I think that there are certain like I always think about um you know in a lot of indigenous tribes all over the world that people like you and me um I was listening to someone <laughs> talk about uh Joan of Arc. I think I was telling you about this. Yeah. The other day and they were saying you know, she heard voices and can you imagine like, you know, someone today being saying the things she said about like, you know, the pipeline, like I don't, I heard that we shouldn't, <laughs> the pipeline shouldn't happen. And like the, that person would be put into They'd a mental institution, committed, yeah. but, but that there's a different approach in a lot of, of the indigenous tribes where those people are considered oracles and shamans and they're treated in this household i am considered (laughs) a shaman and an oracle (laughs) but they're guided on that path and and they're and they're and they're taking care of and i think you know i i mean of course you got to learn how to kind of harness it for good you know because like i i will like a perfect example is my friend who passed away recently I'm, i'm going to a service this saturday it that was Absolutely, his downfall was he was just so unbelievably yeah. sensitive and was 
utterly incapable of like filtering out how to handle the pain of the world. And, and it, it, he just, it, it consumed him, you know, and being super sensitive to everyone else's feelings, which this person was, he was the most, he never had a dollar to his name, but he'd be the first person to loan you money. And he yeah. was, he was that guy. He never got control of it to like harness it for good, you know? Well, I think that part of the, the problem and part of this, the challenge with it is that it, it's so rarely talked about in the way that it should be, um, you know, which I hope is how we're talking about it right now, which is that, um, and I, it took me a long time to understand this and to be able to be with it in this way in my life, which is that I fought against it for so long. Yeah. And I, and I so didn't want to feel that way that I was constantly up against it, pushing against it, just trying to do anything in my power to get rid of it. And it wasn't until I really accepted that um, there was something I was trying to tell myself and to, to, to find a way to be with it. And I mean, I, I started off being medicated um, and sometimes I know like with you, Sometimes that's the only way because sometimes you're so far gone that you need a little something to help you just even get to a place where you can even think rationally about right. um, where you're at. But I will say it, like it, – it's, it's literally life-saving. Yes, you know, you absolutely. Can, yeah. And But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not anymore and I haven't been for a very long time. And in fact, I didn't even realize I weaned myself off of the medication that I had been on for about five or six years and, and apparently is a very heavy duty drug that you're supposed to have. Viagra. <laughs> very strange. You were a test subject there. I don't know why they'd use that. Um, you just decided sense. you just decided to wean yourself off? Um yeah. I think I just was How old were you? Uh twenty four. Oh, so you're super young still. Yeah. I was on and I was on clonopin. Mm-hmm. Um and apparently they're incredibly I, effective. Uh, I found it to be, um, I didn't like the way it made me feel. I felt it, it certainly would help with the anxiety, That's but, what I mean, but yeah. it would, but it would not, it would kind of numb me out to the point where I well, didn't. Well, people in recovery aren't supposed to have clonopin because it changes you. I mean, it definitely yeah. does something. You know? Well, and I, as an actor, it, it felt really hard to, to be vulnerable because yeah. I couldn't, I felt like a, a zombie when I took it. Um, but I, I, you know, I can't even really remember why I was just like, oh, I'm over this. And then around that time, I, I think I discovered that I had um, Hashimoto's, uh, which is an autoimmune disorder. And uh, which which probably could very well be the reason I had such an that epic um, up and down in college. Who knows? I'll never know if that's when it started. It definitely or... contributed. I, I mean, the, yeah. your thyroid is so integral to kind of like, you know, all the all the emotions that are involved with like raciness and stuff like that. Like, well, you know? yeah, but I mean, it's also possible that, uh, um, you know, just the just the uh, stress of being in college and being um, being so um, you know, drunk and stupid all the yeah. time and getting sick all the time, whatever that also could. So it's a, it's that's a really a peak to, that's the peak of searching for, for yourself, right. Is 
the year you move out, for me, it wasn't college, but it was that year of my life, the first year away. Yeah. And you're so resistant to the idea of like feeling like you're failing at independence. You know well, what I'm saying? They, like they, it, it, Because I think it's so weird. Like it's, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes wonder, uh, I, I think about it a lot. Like what would have happened if I, because you know, when I, when I graduated from high school, I really, I think I knew in my heart, I mean, I loved performing. Performing was my passion. Hold on to that thought. Summer is over and fall is upon us. With so much changing, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time just for you. The time you need to take care of yourself and to look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. It visibly reduces wrinkles fine lines, and even my biggest enemy, under-eye bags. In minutes, they're gone, and the results will last for hours. You can try a six-application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com and use the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's triplexiderm.com and use the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear. With Plexiderm. All right. Sorry. I had to take a pee break. You uh, you realized in high school that you really loved performing. Well, no. And I just, I think, you know, when I, you know, with with two parents that were both in, in the medical uh, profession, my dad was an anesthesiologist and my mom was a nurse, that it just didn't, like, that didn't strike me as a realistic career path that someone went on. So I think even though I loved it, I, it never occurred to me that that could be something that I could actually do. And so when high school ended, I, I really didn't have any direction. And so, you know, my mom was like, oh, you're so good at performing and all that. Maybe you should be a communications major. And so I went to, you know, a college that had a great communications department. And, um, but, but I was really aimless. And I, and I sometimes wonder like, what and it's pointless to do this because it is what it is and it's not what I did but but I just for the sake of the argument of like or the discussion if I had gone to a performing arts college and gotten to immerse myself as an artist yeah because I do think that part I mean I I clearly when I went to hot college and I just dr- drank myself into oblivion and you know really cared about what guys thought about me and, you know, the stupid tiffs between girls and whatever, all that BS. Um, like that's not who I was. And I, I know that now and I can see when I look back at it, how disconnected and lost I was. And so it's no wonder to me that I behaved in such a way because it was just like a, it was a, it was a, um, tr- it was a train wreck in process, yeah. you know, I mean, and, and, and I, I don't know how, why I started this point out because. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> saying, you said that you wondered what would happen if you were like embraced in the idea of performing from a young age. Well, I, but, but I, I think that like, you know, um, specifically in the United States, because I look at my family that grew up in other parts of the world. Um, and I think specifically in the United States, there's this party hardy attitude, right? It's like college is like, yeah, 
oh, we're going to go and guys, you know, pound beers and frats. And I know that's not everybody's college experience, but it's a very popular. It's a very common one. Yeah. Common. And, um, and I, and I think like, um, it was violent to me. It was a, it was a violence against myself. Um, and I, and I, when I think about myself back then, I wish I could wrap my arms around her and just say like, this doesn't have to be what it is for you. Right. But I wasn't in touch with myself enough to know that. But I remember there were, there were little slivers of it. Like I used to, I, I lived in this dorm that overlooked, um, one part of campus. There was this bookstore called the bookie and, um, and it would snow and it would be lit up at night and it was so beautiful. And my roommate would fall to sleep and I would sit at the open window listening to Metallica and, um, smoke cigarettes and write poetry. And I just think like that's who you were. Who I was. And, um, and I, and in a way it doesn't really matter because I found my way and finding my way to that anyway. Um, and this is just, and I think this is another important part of this is that I think for especially people with anxiety or depression, um, it's like, you, you, and I, I hate when people say this because I feel like the term itself is so cliched, but like you're always where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but I do think that um, recently I was listening to a guy talk about um, self-love and he was saying, you know, like everybody always talks about self-love, um, but they act like, like it's, you're going to have this like romantic, uh, you know. Love affair. <laughs> love affair with yourself. But like actually what real self-love is, is, is the doing the things where you're helping yourself to learn. And in, in my experience, even the mistakes, even the fuck ups are this, this is the self love learning. It's the only, it's the only time. Yeah. No, no one, especially young people. I mean, may, I don't know, maybe really noble older people do. No one learns about themselves when shit's going really well. No, because no. you're just too wrapped up in being like, this doesn't <laughs> There, and, and I think too, like, um, it's so hard when something feels so physical, like anxiety or depression does, because it feels like it's insurmountable because it, it feels like it has a mind of its own. Well, and it's, and it's very, very fatiguing. Oh A lot my of God. people don't, don't mention that. I don't hear that talked about, but you know, just uh, the hormonal effects alone for something like anxiety just peaking your adrenaline on the in the fight or flight, that just drains the shit out of well, you. Well, and know? you know what, too? I mean, and I think this is so important to be said um, because it took me a really long time to finally ha- be able to say this to myself and believe it. But I was like, I'll never forget. It was only a couple years ago where, like, I started to have that, the rush of the the tightness in my chest, the, the thoughts going fuzzy, the, the beating of the heart. Cause I would get that too, the heart palpitations and going, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And then, and then I was like, stop for a minute. I'm like, like, how long is this going to go on for before I actually realize that I haven't died every single one of these times that zero I thought times. I was dying. Literally zero. And, and, <laughs> and, um, and that it's just a panic attack Yeah, and that I can survive it and I will survive it. And, um, just relax. Breathe, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and honestly, like I have so many tricks now, which I'm happy to share here. Um, but like meditation, 
was numero uno. Mm. And I hear so many people say to me like, well, I can't because I sit and it makes it worse. And I'm like, but you got to start slow. You don't just sit down and suddenly do 20 minutes of meditation. I mean, there's so many amazing uh, tutorials on YouTube or there's apps now, but like you have to start slow. You have just literally like two minutes a day. Well, and also I think there's a, mis- a big misconception and I've suffered from this too in the past where people hear meditation who have not meditated before and they're like, okay, I didn't go to some Zen place and I don't sit in a twisty way. You know what I'm saying? Like they yeah. have this notion, this like Hollywood aggrandized idea of meditation that you have to completely detach from yourself and have hallucinogenic experiences. And it's like you know, meditation is just like no, sitting and I, monitoring the, the, your thoughts. The, the you know, best but. description of meditation, I think, the simplest one is the glass of muddy water. And that's exactly anxiety is that a glass, a glass with dirt at the bottom and it's been stirred up and that's anxiety and the mud is floating around in there like crazy and you can't think straight and you can't see straight and you can't breathe or any of that. And you got to set the glass down and wait and let the mud settle to the bottom. And then you've got beautiful, clear water. And, you know, another thing that took me a while to learn is that no healing is, is linear. It's not like, um, Oh, you know, I, I just had this conversation today actually with, I work with an Ayurvedic practitioner, which is another thing. Ayurveda helped me so much. Um, And it's, you know, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, is it older than Chinese medicine, Ayurveda? I mean, one of the two, one of the two, right? It's, Ayurveda does go back thousands of years, but I, China's always up at the top of like old as shit. Yeah. You know? Um, But it's, it's excellent and it, it, is based around, you know, so many things, but the idea that everybody is one of three or a combination of, uh, doshic types and that you're, when you're out of balance, that's why we have disease and illness. I would, I will say that, uh, you know, since marrying you or not even since marrying you, since meeting you, I've gotten involved in Ayurveda and it is, um, it's not crazy hippie psychic, bullshit i mean it's it's very very scientific it's very reasonable and um i've taken a lot from it and one of the things i love about ayurveda and and vedic medicine in comparison to even western medicine is that right from the start the very first thing you do when you get involved in ayurveda is acknowledging that you are very different from everybody else that you are your own person you have your own um makeup physically you have your own emotional kind of makeup you have your own intellect and identifying like what mixture of the three doshas you are yeah um i think is is a very reasonable thing that um kind of western well and it and, it, and it tells you how you should eat and it tells you a thing i mean when i learned about ayurveda it was like finding something that really um you know accurately described who i was and why i was experiencing the things i was experiencing like your kapha and and as such you are more pre- disposed to depression whereas i'm vada pitta i'm a mix of two and and vada is is a huge predisposition to anxiety so it it really does when you look into it and there's a so many great books um if anybody's interested to learn but but the main ayurveda meditation yeah um but i was talking to mela my ayurvedic practitioner about how um who married us yeah she did she married us and um who doesn't look like she's aged a day. I've been, no. I've been with her for about, gosh, 10 years now, 10 years or so, I think. Um, anyway, 
but I was saying how, you know, that, that there's this, I think there's this idea, especially when you first start out on, on well-being and, and either fitness or mentality, yeah, wellness in any way, yeah. that like, oh, I'm going to, um, I'm going to start today and then I'm going to, I'm going to get to my peak and then I'm going to stay there. Yeah. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be smooth sailing from here. I've made the decision. <laughs> here we go. And now everything's going to work out. And it's not linear. None of it is linear. And, but, but I think what's so important to remember is that even when you go backwards, it's not back, it's not starting over. It's mm. not, it's not at the beginning again, because every time you're different, you're a different person for have made, having made certain decisions and choices. And so like, I'll get really hard on myself because um, right now, for example, I'm really trying to pay attention to how I'm distracting myself, that I'm clearly, this is an uncomfortable time. There's, a, there's so much uncertainty and we have become masters at distracting ourselves mm-hmm. from, from understanding that life is uncertainty. If there's one thing that's certain, it's that things are uncertain. Yeah, I've said it before on this podcast. I was like, if there's one big lesson we can all take away from 2020, life never turns out how you think it's how no. you think it's going to turn out ever. No. And, and I will say this in my experience, when I sit with the truth of the present moment, and I know that sounds like a lot of hippy dippy bullshit. Um, but when I sit with what is what's here right now, it's so much better than what I could ever think it to be. And like all the things that I really do think that I want or tell myself that I want or that I need are really just ideas of how I think things can be better. When the truth is that in this moment, everything is perfect. Yeah. I have everything I need. And even I can say that in looking back now, even in the worst of moments, because it's when things are hard, it's an opportunity to to have the, the deepest experience of yourself. It, and, and that doesn't mean that like, oh, everything's hunky-dory and I, and I just figure out a way to grin and bear it. There's actually incredible beauty to sit with, with your pain and to sit with your discomfort. And I know that sometimes when, when you don't understand something or when, especially like in my case with anxiety, um, when it's fucking terrifying, it's really hard to do that. And it's not something that happens right off the bat. Yeah. Um, but it's possible. And it's, and I know that because now I have done that. Well, and it's, I mean, those, those, it's, it's really hard in the moment when you are trying to be present, when shit isn't going well, but those, those things are all gifts. Um, there's the African proverbs that no great sailors ever been made on smooth seas, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's true. Like that's, I I think about just like you all the time. I think about like, what if I grew up in a world where my parents were like, yeah, music is clearly very important to you. <laughs> we're we're going to buy you a studio. You can, would you want a new Stratocaster? Here's a, here's a less part. Or how about just lessons? How yeah, about yeah, like, just, <laughs> you know, like the idea of like uh, performing the, what if the idea of the arts or what if like, you know, I'm looking at a picture I drew this morning. Um, what, what if like, they were like, uh, being a painter is a fine way to live your life. Yeah. Like, what if I lived in that world? And I always think about what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, but then I like, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I, yeah. I would never give up 
drug addiction and deceit and disappointment and heartbreak and all the horrible shit that happened to me and all the horrible shit that I did to myself because I, I, I'm definitely a better man today because yeah. of all that shit. I'm really not a better guy because of like all the success I've had in professionally or when you and I were in, you and I in our relationship have been like really getting along great and everything's going smoothly. Like I, I'm not, I, I didn't really become a better person. No, but, you know? but, but when you, it was when enjoyable, you, but when you are present with the, with the shit show, yeah, then you actually get so much joy out of the parts that are yeah. really good. I mean, one thing that I have recognized is that when Maggie was like two years old um, and things were, were really hard for me, I think, um, I think I went into another hormonal imbalance after, you know, my pregnancy and uh, just a lot of stuff built up and I went through kind of another dark night of the soul. And, um, and, uh, I, I hate when I lose my train. <laughs> you went through a d- dark time. Maggie was too. Thank you. I know, but I, it was, Hormones. it was there and something was going Pregnancy. on. It, it's gone. Um, but, but I think that, uh, I was just going to say that, um, you know, Alan Watt, I love Alan Watt so much. And, and I listened to something that he said the other day, which is, um, the reason that you want to be better is the reason that you aren't. Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, the hardest thing is that we make things more challenging on ourselves because we don't like where we're at and we don't like what, what's what's happening. And like I said before, we ra- we rail against it. But that only doubles the challenge for ourselves. And I think that to sit with what's happening, whether it be anxiety, whether it be depression, whether it be the current situation in all of our lives right now, um, it doesn't mean that we have to sit there and say like, oh, this is hunky-dory and I'm fine with it because it's that would be lying. Um, but to just make peace with the fact that this is a shit show right now. Yeah. And it's so crazy to me that when I make peace with it and say – Right now, there's nothing I can do about this. And you literally take your hands off of the wheel. Yeah. And you just say, I'm just going to be here and I'm going to witness what's happening. And if it makes me upset, it makes me upset. But like, I think so many of us just don't even feel what we're actually feeling. No, we're well, and we're so actively trying to get away from it, you know. A hundred percent distractions and stuff. Like but that. but I mean, you know, I think that um, for me, the the real key to all of it has been to not be shitty to myself about it. And I think like there's this idea of how we should be, you know, and that I get really down on myself when I haven't done the things I should be but doing. But who's telling you should? Myself. Okay. Uh, you know, but sometimes it could be society. Or, well, I'm sure well, whoever it is. I, I, I mean, was just I, curious because, you know, for me, it's, it's always, yeah, it's always me. <laughs> well, like for example, Peter Crone has a great yeah. story. Um, who's another good person. And he has, by the way, a free, um, mini course right now. I'm that big, big fan of his disease. You said that last time. I know, I but I got a lot of tweets about, but how he, was. but he told this, <laughs> well, good. <laughs> then it was worth it. Um, he told this story about a guy uh, that he met a guy who um, 
was a smoker. And he found out what Peter did. And he said, um, uh, you know, well, how would you help me? And Peter basically told him, well, the first thing I would tell you is like to stop thinking that smoking's bad. And it's not that Peter was trying to say like, it can't, it can't be harmful for you, but Gloria, Gloria, Gloria needs, wants to wait in, wait in on our, but, Is she actually barking at something? Who knows? She's a goofy bitch. It's our puppy. I feel weird calling her a puppy because she's like, what, 70 pounds? Because she's think. a giant. Yeah. Anyway, the the point is, is that, it, that, that if I'm telling myself that what I'm doing is wrong, that makes it so much harder to stop I mean, doing it. You get the it. self-flagellation too. You get, you know, you make yourself feel like shit. Yes. You know, and the shame, the shame cycle starts and, you know, and that's, that's always uh, with anything, you know, in malady, that's like, that's the worst part. You know, how many people deal with that with eating where you feel like shit, you feel like shit because you ate fill in the blank or you ate too much of fill in the blank. So you feel like shit about it. What do you do? You go back to eating to yeah. give you that. You know I what I'm always, saying? It's just like this I always terrible do cycle. Like, I'm like, well, I've already ruined this day, so I'm just going to take it all I'll the way tomorrow. to bedtime. Yeah. yeah, and then and then in the morning I get up and I see something that like, well, that looks really good, so I'll just start there. And it's like before you know it, the whole week is gone. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think I'm going through that right now with exercise. I've just stopped exercising for a month, and I feel it. Do you think that it's anxiety-based? Um... No, I, I think that I, um, I think that Magnolia started online schooling and she is cr- a crazy person and she yeah. tells us fibs about what's actually going on on <laughs> online and tells us that her teacher just told them to take a break and clean somewhere in the house. And I go back and, and we go and look at the screen and it's a bunch of kids in all class. The, all the kids studying. are in class. Yeah. And then she tells us that uh, for a homework exi- assignment, they're supposed to watch a YouTube and then talk about it. And about ha- Barbies? Halfway through the YouTube, we realize that's not true. Yeah. Um, no, I think that, um, and, I'm, and I'm fucking pissed off. I'm pissed off about the state of our country right now. And I'm pissed off about uh, idiots making decisions and... And I, and that's my lesson to learn is that it's, there's, there's really nothing that I can personally do right now in this moment and, um, getting myself all worked up about it is not helping anyone. Sure. And then you real when you know, when you, cause you are a smart person and emotionally you're, you're super intelligent. You, you're, you're so, um, you're so kind of evolved, um, when it comes to like emotional know-how and being introspective and things like that. But, you know, you recognize, you know, a lot of us, I mean, I would assume most of us are upset about the current state of, uh, the country, um, especially the state of California. Um, but it's like, what are, what does not living a positive life, do for it you know what i'm saying like what does allowing it to get to you to the point that you don't exercise or you don't pay attention to me and maggie or you know what i'm saying what 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 positive is there out of that kind of reaction nothing but but i but i think but again it's that's the i mean you know it's interesting i think addiction um there it's such an insidious disease these days because it doesn't 
is not just booze and drugs. Um, I think that, you know, we have made acceptable a device that everyone can have and no one thinks is strange if your nose is in it the entire time. And it's the ultimate dopamine um, uh, charge. Charge, yeah. And it's really, and, and it's it's really uh, uh, I think it was a good word that you chose, insidious, because it's like little miniature charges. Well, you know, and, it, like and, it, and it's <laughs> and it's freaking designed that way. There yeah. are people that are literally their job is to make it as addictive as it can possibly be. Yeah. And then we wonder why we're unhappy because we've got we're we're stuck inside. We've got our you know noses in our phones, and there's this huge beautiful world out there. I mean, no matter where you live, uh. You tell this to me all the time, and and Mila said it to me today. It's like, go outside, walk down the street with nothing. Don't take your phone, and just listen to the world around you, and you know, connect with what's around you. And even if you're in the middle of a city and it doesn't feel all that natural, it doesn't matter. I, we're we're. Um, I think losing our minds because we're stuck in technology and that's not the way we were meant to be. No. And it's even worse now because all our kids are on it and, um, and they're on it. You know, Megan always bouncing off the walls today and it's like, no shit. Cause she's on a screen for she's half the day. Um, you know, but you're right. It's, it doesn't do anyone any good. You know, I, the biggest, I think aha moment for me was, about two year and a half ago, I was, I'll never forget, I was laying on the floor, you were in the kitchen cooking, and I was rolling out on a, on a roller, and I, I realized I was making a conscious decision to choose to think about something negative. And I felt the pull, I felt the seduction of going to the place that felt bad. Yeah. And it made me realize like it really is a choice and we don't feel like it is because it, it's like worry. Well, I have to worry about this because otherwise I've got to do something about it. Uh, what's what's going to happen if I don't worry? But, you know, it's like that saying is so cheesy, but worry is a prayer for what you don't want. Um, and there is a there is an is an evolutionary genetic predisposition for us to worry about things because it helps you survive when we were when we were <laughs> running around with you know tattered burlap sacks and clubs in our hands i don't think we ever really like looked like the flintstones no we but. didn't look like the flintstones honey <laughs> but i'm sure we had animal skins on and we were probably using not clubs, but spears of some sort. You know? you know, listening to like the debates and stuff, I had this thought. I, I was like, I think that probably life was a little bit better when we just grunted and fucked each other and then ran out to no, kill our supper. No, listen, <laughs> I, I understand the romantic idea of like caveman life. Trust me, up until like eight, 90 years ago, life was a fucking shit show. And go back farther, like 500 years ago, oh, life sucks so so much like life today is for all its faults it's way better than any other time. yes well maybe I, like but our, again maybe like our childhood but again that was pretty pretty ripping no but then it's all relative again we, maybe, we come back full circle to yeah. the beginning of our conversation because i know i remember my childhood and i did not enjoy it nearly as much as no. i enjoy it in the memory of it but i remember 1984 and I didn't enjoy that all that much either. But if I was 41 in 1984, 
I would rather that than 2020. 1984. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to, I just think like. Or even 94. You know, um, there's, there's my new favorite guy, Daniel Schmachtenberger. You, I know you love his last name yeah. and you're trying, well, can't believe you're trying to think so hard of a joke that you can make with no, it. No, I wasn't going to think of a joke. I but just, that's why I love it. I can't him. believe it. Sounds you, like, it sounds like a name Fletch would make up on the fly. I'm telling I'm you I'm Dr. Guys, Schmachtenberger. People, look him up on YouTube and listen to this man speak. He is the smartest man I've ever heard. And I love everything he says. And he was talking about how, um, you know, animals are born basically able to survive essentially 20 minutes after they're born because animals are born into a known habitat. They have places that those animals are known to live. Human beings can be born anywhere. And so that first year is we have to be. Yeah, but by the way, only because of technology and even crude technology, because we're really the animal of Homo sapien are supposed to live in like Africa and Santa Monica. Like if you were born in, you know, Norway, yeah, but but we prior, but, but know, we're adaptable. You die. I but we're adaptable to anywhere. And the point is, is that that we we the social structure of what we're born into could vary yeah, depending absolutely. on. And so that that first, that first you know couple years is like this crazy absorption of like the social customs and like what's what's socially correct and what's not and how we are you know how we can still say in our circle and be considered good and all of those different things. But he said, what's crazy. And and also our connection to our surroundings, which used to be nature, but now people are being born into literally cement walls, like apartment buildings or, 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 you know, whatever, where you, you, some people don't even ever really touch nature and we've completely lost connection to the natural world. Um, and I just think about that and I think like, well, and and explain so much, particularly right now, because as much as we hate to admit it, the Homo sapiens a very social animal. Yeah. For thousands and thousands, probably for longer, I mean, probably many thousands of years, we had to rely on each other to get by. You know, if you before the invention of the rifle, how are you going to take down a woolly mammoth? Yeah. You need fucking need, 20 dudes. You need bros. And, or you're not eating and you will be killed. Well, that's the other thing. We're very social that's, animals. That's the and, other thing is that we we can live now yeah. surrounded for miles by other people and literally not, not know and not and not only not interact, not know them, yeah. not have any interaction or knowledge or or companionship or connection. And you know, it's like it's so. Oh my god, it's so heartbreaking right now during this time to like watch the videos of um, you know people in nursing homes that are begging. For people to be allowed to come in and, and I mean, it's really depressing. I'm going to talk about it because I, I think that, um, there's so much around us right now that is so heavy and I just, um, you know, I really miss that the most. I miss connection with people and hugging people. And I was thinking about on my walk the other day that like how, how hard it is that you walk on the street and someone bananas like you know, 10 feet away from you. Um, and I, and we're just not meant to, to live that way. Yeah. Well, can we, can we say something to, to end on an upbeat note? Cause I feel like I, I took it real Debbie Downer right now. Yeah. That's my life. So <laughs> what? and I will, uh, figure out a way to, 
All right, here's something really upbeat and positive. You're married to me. <laughs> that helps a lot. Helps who? You, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I, I do. I want to say this. Yes. I really do want to say this, which is that if for the two people that are listening to this, <laughs> you, get pretty, you get pretty good listening numbers, it's growing, right? It's growing quite well. <laughs> yes, thank you. I, I mean, that might change after I, this episode, I, I, but... <laughs> I'm sorry. I really, uh, I really took it down a notch. Um, but for anyone who is out there listening to this and struggling with um, any sort of of mental um, distress, whether it be depression or anxiety or just like you know the the hard stuff that we're going through right now, um, I really do believe it's going to be okay. I feel that it will whole, be. I feel that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, I've, I've always felt that even in the darkest moments for myself. And, um, and I just want to say like, as someone who's been there and, and gotten through it, um, it's possible and you just have to be patient with yourself and, and cut yourself some slack because you're a human being and it's a really hard fucking time to be a human being. And, um, when you doubt yourself, I just want to tell you that I'm here rooting you on and I love you and I'm giving you a huge hug through this microphone, which probably isn't all that great, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. It's important that you said that. And I know that that sounds just like kind of like empty woo woo stuff, but (laughs) well, I didn't think so. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, a lot of people listen to anything that kind of, um, precious and they get this automatic idea like well that's just someone trying to be nice but can i but can and i the I truth is is like if we really took the time if there was some weird machine that could make it so that we could experience six billion all six billion other people it's crazy how many of us really are loving and do give a shit about each yeah. other and we just don't we, because life can get so much and we get in our own heads it's very easy. I've certainly been there where you create this monolithic idea about society around you and people are all angry and mean and they don't give a shit about you and that no one cares. And that's just not true. No. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. Well, you know? and also I think this all the time that when I experience people who are really angry or upset or so fearful that, um, you know, everyone truly is fighting their own battle and that people's behavior has nothing to do with you. It always has to do with them. And to me, I always think that however somebody speaks to me or speaks to someone else, that's how that person talks to themselves in their own head. And I really genuinely have gotten to a place in my life where most people, I really just wish I could give a big hug to. And um, and that they would accept it because I think a lot of people wouldn't accept it because a lot of people have a, hard time. Are, have a hard time with it. And, and I understand that because I was there too once. And, um, yeah, I, um, I'm, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story and I hope that it wasn't too boring and that it helped maybe at least somebody to feel a little uh, better. I, I do. I definitely do. Uh, I think you're a much more interesting and, and, um, you're a much more important person than you give yourself credit for. Thanks, babe. And um, I just love you so much. I can't imagine ever like really loving a girl like that. You know that, that obviously that isn't my family. Um, but I was thinking about it today. You know, 
because I had a conversation about you, not, not about you, but as my relationship with you. Mm. And, um, it was with a friend of mine who's a former coworker from K rock, who's trying to settle down with this girl. And they're always breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, breaking up. I was like, dude, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. This doesn't seem, you know, like at your age, are you really just going to get married for the sake of getting married? And he's like, I don't know. I, how did you know that it was the right thing to do? I mean, you'd already been through a divorce. I was like, well, <laughs> This may sound so bro and 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 meatheady, but I mean it. I think that there could be a lot of value in it. And I said, I knew that I should marry Bianca when I came to the conclusion that I would want to spend lots of time with her, even if I wasn't attracted to her. Aww. Like even if she was like, if I woke up and you were like really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I would still like, because I can't say that I've had like I I've never really had any like really bad relationships. Yeah. But in the past, if you were to somehow remove sexual attraction or sexual interaction, exactly. I'd be like, why? But I need to get out of this so quickly. I need to leave now. You know, like there's never. I've, and and then when I met you, it, that changed. You know, that changed dramatically. And so that's how I knew. Um, that you were the one for me. Well, I love that. And that's probably one of the best compliments you've ever given me. So thank you. Well, I much. do. I love you. Give me a kiss. <laughs> Listen to a slobber all over And the remember, just like my wife said moments ago, in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, we, we do. do. Be good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.